Already, state lawmakers have filed a flurry of bills ahead of the 88th legislative session, which doesn't begin until January. Many of them seek to affect your property tax burdens. Others deal with issues that Texas taxpayers have asked to get done for years now. Let's get into it on today's episode. Taxpayer Talks is brought to you by Texans for Fiscal Responsibility, and it's only made possible from generous donations from listeners like you. If you want to support our work, you can visit texastaxpayers.com slash donate to make a tax-deductible contribution today. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Well, hey, it is that time again. January 2023 legislative session starts and pre-filing began on Monday this week. And we have had a ton of bills dealing with property tax reform. I'm pretty excited about it. It looks like we're really going to have some momentum behind property tax reform. And I actually wrote an article about it this week. Let's go ahead and bring that up, Jeremy. So there is a number of property tax bills that were filed Honestly, you know, most of them were pretty lackluster. They were small reforms that weren't necessarily bad. But of course, what we're looking for is a path towards elimination, uh, using that surplus to pay down. And there's a couple different takes on it. Uh, there was a bill from Shaheen, I believe, that used surplus dollars and uh, Troxclair as well to uh, pay down MO. And the important phrase in there was until MO compression is zero, which is what we supported in the second and third special with Tom Oliverson. He brought a bill that actually did not include that. It was a weaker bill. And so uh, I'm excited. At least we have a couple of bills that uh, are, are willing to put us on a path towards elimination. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing to read or take away from what we're day three into pre-filing when we're recording this, right. Is that it's very obvious lawmakers have at least heard right from their constituents when it comes to the kind of increased property tax burdens. Um, I think where we need to, you know, our role as an organization and certainly kind of letting other folks know and where taxpayers need to be concerned is we just need to be sentinels that they don't, we don't allow them to do the bare minimum, right. Or get away with kind of just continuing to slow the growth as we talk about pretty frequently um, and, and not doing enough to where it actually makes an impact on, on the wallets of Texas as taxpayers. Yeah, I think, you know, I'd go a step further and I would say it's very likely that the Texas legislature is, uh, the goal is to do the bare minimum. Uh, They are going to do uh, whatever they think will get them past the voters, uh, but still allow them to continue to grow government at the same rate uh, they have been growing it. And so that is certainly something to watch for. I do think this is the best opportunity that we've had probably in decades for legitimate property tax reform uh, and specifically as Abbott's said, once again, uh, the goal being the elimination of school property taxes so Texans can actually own their home. We assume from that quote from him that he is talking specifically about school maintenance operations uh, since there has really been no plan floated uh, to deal with INS, the the local bonds. And so it looks like what we're going to be focusing on is school maintenance and operation, which is about, you know, 40 to 50 percent of most people's property tax bills. Uh, And it is very, very encouraging uh, that we have the sheer amount of bills uh, that are being filed. So it tells us that uh, the legislators are hearing people and, and that they appear to be serious about doing something. Now, how far they go and whether they keep the status quo, uh, that is uh, a whole a whole separate issue for sure. 
Yeah, I mean, we're definitely way too early to tell that. I mean, I would, if someone were to ask me, right, is like, what should I do to make sure that we we hold their feet to the fire is I would say constant pressures, constantly trying to talk to your lawmaker, not not just when the legislature convenes in January, like right now, right? Uh, do it right now. Continue to talk to them. Um, talk about, you know, especially when it's fresh on your minds. If you're a taxpayer that's watching this or listening to this, you just got your tax, right? The the bill telling you what the rate is or what they set the rate is for this next year. Uh, we have not seen, had a single person tell us, you know, as we traveled around the state that their bill has gone down. So undoubtedly your bill went up or will go up, right? And so you need to let your lawmaker know that and let them know that the reform that they did in 2019 has not, there were some good things in it, obviously, but has not curbed the growth of that burden, that tax burden on you, uh, you know? And so there's, and there's a litany of bills. Obviously, I, we're not going to talk about every specific one today, but I would encourage people to go read your article where you at least break down kind of loosely what each one does uh, that had been filed thus far. Obviously, I think we can expect to continue to have people, uh, lawmakers uh, file stuff. You know, it's important, right? I always like to tell people that just because they file it doesn't mean they actually intend to do anything with it. And so you got to continue to hold their feet to the fire as, uh, as we go through session. Absolutely. You know, and we're at the very beginning stage of this thing. I mean, we're a few days into pre-filing. I think we're, what, around the thousand a thousand uh, bills in the House, roughly, and a, a few hundred in the Senate. And so, um, you know, there will be thousands more bills filed. And for those who are not familiar with legislative session and how each chamber works, it's also important for you to realize that uh, the priority legislation, uh, they have uh, placeholders. And so this really tells us when those bills start getting filed and in the House, it's HB 1 through 20. And I believe that this year in the Senate, it's SB 1 through 30. And so they re they rely or they keep those uh, those first few low numbered bills uh, as placeholders, they don't they don't let anybody file those. And when those start getting filed, it tells us the chamber's priorities. And of course, the other thing, important thing is to listen to Abbott in the state of the state. He's going to give his legislative priorities. And so once we get uh, Abbott's priorities and we start seeing the the specific property tax bills that are filed in those low House bill and Senate bill numbers, that's going to give us a very good indication of what is probably actually going to happen this session. And of course, when we start seeing those bills filed, we're likely a few months away from that. Um, we will be reporting on that as well. Yeah, so I think the last thing I would say on this, right, is that it's that's it's it's positive news, at least that there are some bills, especially bills related to our Texas prosperity plan. Right. Uh, this is, you know, out of that three prong plan, this is definitely cheap, the biggest one. Right. Putting us on a path to eliminate property tax, at least the ones you, you talked about earlier. And uh, so it's important that we continue to uh, focus on that. If anything, I guess this is a good segue, Tim, too, to the article I wrote, which is another prong of the Texas Prosperity Plan. You had um, state senator-elect. I had to kind of uh, practice that a few times. State senator-elect Mays Middleton, uh, taxpayer champion, right, on TFR's Fiscal Responsibility Index, um, filed a uh, a bill. This will be, I think, the third time that he's filed a, a bill proposing to ban taxpayer-funded lobbying. Of course, as many of our listeners know, that is one of the prongs to our Texas prosperity plan as well. Um, so that was positive news. Uh, let's hope that, you know, he'll be in the Senate this go around. You had Dan Patrick, who's already said, right, that it's no problem like this in some capacity will pass through his chamber again. The question is whether or not the appetite exists in the House to do that again. Yeah, and and the other question is, what form is it going to take? And if my memory uh, serves me correctly, like we had what uh, Ben Court that filed kind of the weaker version in the Senate, which is actually the one that made it over to the House. 
Uh, and then you had what Bob Hall, who filed the companion to Mays' bill in the House, which was uh, far stronger. And of course, uh, some of you have probably heard the story, but essentially when the Senate uh, bill came over, Chris Patty uh, laid it out on the floor and delayed it to a time certain. And that uh, certain time was Mays Middleton's birthday, kind of a slap right across his face. Um, and so this is kind of some of the dirty politics that happens behind the scenes not everyone knows about. Uh, and so I'm sure Mays, fresh off that, uh, is, is ready to get going in the Senate. We have high hopes for him. Uh, he's filed a, a bunch of really good uh, pieces of legislation. And the fact that the Senate already passed out one version last go-round relatively quickly, if I remember, um, that gives us high hopes that we'll have another one quickly out. The question is, is Betancourt uh, going to file one? Uh, is it going to be that same weaker version, or are they going to go with Mays' version? We, we shall see here in a few months. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the only other thing I would say on this, right, is that the, the one person who's not returning in that story is Chris Patty, right, um, who also, you know, was the state affairs chairman in the House where the bill went through, right? And so, you know, in kind of this perverse way became the sponsor, but he's not returning. Um, and so there's at least some positive news there uh, when it comes to its prospects. The question is, uh, of course, is whether or not Speaker Dade Phelan, who, by the way, historically, right, uh, was a joint author on one of Mays' bills two sessions ago, whether or not he uh, he lets um, the bill get there in time. Uh, you know, the other thing, of course, we don't know who's going to chair what committee going on the next session. But based on the last session, you know, the calendar's chairman, Representative Dustin Burroughs, was also a joint author on the bill last session. Um, and so, you know, assuming if he stays in that in that role as well, you know, you have to assume that all the cogs are in the right places. It's whether or not they, they, they move in time. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and I, you know, I think we, we know better, but it seems like a, a pretty easy lay down considering the history of taxpayer funded lobbying bans. Uh, the fact that, you know, in the Republican primary, 95% of voters oppose taxpayer funded lobbying and would like to see it banned. Uh, and of course is still in the platform. Uh, there is such massive support behind this. I think this is going to come into play uh, in leadership, right? Whether that be the GOP caucus. And of course we have a, a speaker's race. I don't know if this is going to be an issue there or not, uh, but I do know that Tony Tenderholtz uh, is making, you know, part of his, his run focusing on Republican platform and Republican priorities. Uh, so we will see if this is brought up. I think right now he's concentrating on Democrat uh, chairs, um, but uh, it seems to me like with a Republican majority in both chambers and a Republican in the governorship and 95% support among Republicans, that this would be a no-brainer. Uh, however, uh, you and I both know that the lobby, specifically the taxpayer-funded lobby uh, down in Austin is very powerful, uh, and they wield uh, a lot of uh, money from things like ISDs. And so uh, this is why it's been so hard to shake uh, this, and, and we have not yet banned it, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, definitely not. And so, you know, positive news again, that's two of our three Texas prosperity uh, plan issues have at least been filed in sub capacity. Right. Um, obviously, there's going to be some nuance there and we'll see as the session uh, starts and then, of course, progresses uh, how that goes. You know, the third prong, it's worth mentioning the third prong of our Texas prosperity plan, which is to kind of, uh, you know, cut or freeze state spending, you know, the budget process already started before the legislature even convenes in January. Um, and, you know, we won't see publicly, we won't see an actual version of that bill for some time. Uh, but lawmakers are already jockeying behind the scenes, right, to make sure things are done. We would implore lawmakers uh, for that third prong to make sure that, look, 
People, individual taxpayers are currently reeling under record high inflation right now. Y'all should also have to kind of curb and tighten your wallets, right? Wallets that are filled with taxpayer money. So. Yeah, I don't know about you over there, Jeremy. I have five children. Uh, my bills are going up exponentially. My Costco bill to feed my family has more than doubled in the last year. And so we're absolutely tightening our belt over here. And so it's it's insane to me that the government, uh, especially local governments more so than the state, has just been spending like drunken sailors um, when we know that we're probably not headed towards good economic times. We're headed into a recession, possibly even a depression, depending on how things go with, with the Fed and, and their rate hikes. Uh, and so the the conservative and fiscally responsible thing to do would be, you know, personally to get out of debt and tighten your belt and, and prepare for this. And government's same thing. Uh, we should not be spending it at historic high records. And so uh, from the state perspective, I think a budget freeze is in order. Uh, this is why we added it to the plan. Uh, we will hope that this gets traction. We will see uh, as we get a little further in the budget process whether or not uh, that is going to be the case. Now, um, we did have a special guest this week. We have an episode coming out uh, tomorrow. Our friend Russell Bennett, who runs the Facebook page Eliminate Property Tax, uh, and they actually have kind of their own plan and their uh, own bill that's a different take than our bill. Uh, but we really just love what they've been doing uh, as far as you know, organizing the grassroots. Uh, this is uh, a bill that they've actually been working on, or Russell and a few other uh, people in political movements have been working on for man, about a decade or more. And so um, uh, we just had a conversation with him about the bill and kind of some of his takes on property taxes. And so we have a couple clips. So let's uh, show the first one and, uh, and kind of see what he has to say. But the main, the main concern is, of course, to eliminate property tax. And it's not, it's not because, of, uh, you know, not just because taxes are rising and putting people out of their homes, but it's because uh, that, that's that's simply the, the situation is with the property tax. We don't own our homes. A anything that's uh, property taxed is not owned at all. And no tax should have the power to leave us homeless. So that is the fundamental principle why we want to do this. And uh, our solution, and we think it's the best one, is to use a consumption tax to do that. Yeah, I mean, so of course we say the same thing, right? And it's great to, to, to be aware that there are other groups, organizations, individuals that are kind of beating to the same drum. We all want the end goal, which is to eliminate property tax. You know, have the ability as homeowners to actually home, own our home, right? Uh, or own our property and not pay perpetual rent, uh, to the government. I think he's spot on. And even though it's a, uh, a different plan and to find out what's in the plan, you need to, to watch the bonus episode. But even though it's a different plan than ours, I think, you know, knowing that there's someone else that wants the same end goal as us um, is always a positive thing. Yeah, I was really encouraged by, you know, his, his honesty uh, with what they're trying to accomplish and what their how their plan kind of differs from ours. Uh, just to kind of give a little bit of a spoiler is they're narrowly focused on eliminating the property tax, not necessarily cutting uh cutting spending massively uh they're they're trying to basically simplify the tax code which i think is a noble pursuit and i think that would be extremely extremely helpful uh it differs from our, our surplus buy down um but uh, we're all working towards the same goal and so uh i'm excited that he has been i mean he's literally just been working his butt off going all over the state meeting with legislators trying to find somebody uh to to sponsor uh, this bill. And he is a perfect example 
of uh, grassroots activism in action. Uh, he is going out there on his own dime, on his own time, uh, and trying to find somebody to carry this bill, understanding uh, that this is going to take a little while. I mean, all massive pieces of legislation like this sometimes can take five to ten years uh, and he's in it for the long haul. And so he's trying to find dedicated members and senators that are willing uh, to try and make the tax code simpler and to allow people to own their homes. And for that reason, uh, we just, you know, we support everything that group does. We encourage y'all to go to Eliminate Property Tax, the Facebook page, uh, and jump in there. Jeremy and I are both in there as well as uh, I think our official TFR page is a part of it as well. And so we encourage y'all to check that out. The other kind of really cool thing that I think that came from our conversation and we'll, we'll show that clip here in a second too is, you know, as someone, it's, it's always encouraging to see activists and, and folks, you know, that are, that involve themselves, right? It's kind of, they, they spend their own treasure, right? Their own time, uh, focusing on these things and, and, you know, we all need to take part in the Republic. Right. And I think Russell's a good example of that. Um, and we asked him, you know, like, Hey, what would be your suggestion if people want to get involved? What's the most effective way they can do so. So I guess let's, let's watch that clip and we can talk about that as well. One of the things that, you know, I asked legislature says, I said, well, what's most important to you? What is the most impactful thing to you that influences your uh, thinking or your decision-making process? And uh, without doubt, all of them say face-to-face -face meetings, going face-to-face. -face. I know that's the most difficult thing for people to do. They want to do the easy thing. Let me sign a petition. Um, let me show up with a, with a T-shirt or something. But that's the most, if you're going to actually have a real impact, that's the best thing to do is meet with your legislature, legislators face-to-face. -face. Even, even if they're not open to it, you need to do it. Uh, because you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So he could not be more right. As a matter of fact, I, you know, I spoke about this last night. I was in Flower Mound. We were talking uh, with a bunch of Republicans up there at their Republican club. And, you know, they were asking me, what is the most effective way to communicate with lawmakers? And of course, a lot of them are asking, you know, hey, what if we come to committees and we testify? Uh, not that we shouldn't do that, uh, but especially on hot button issues like, for instance, a property tax bill that would do something this massive. My guess is the uh, the you know committee hearing would be all day long. You know, there would be hundreds and hundreds of people coming to testify for and against a particular bill. And as far as effectiveness, and that's the key word, effectiveness, you're going to be far more effective sitting down with your legislator one-on-one. -on -one, and I would even add uh, right now, right? Or even in, uh, if you have an incumbent, even in the interim period where things are not as busy and crazy because you have the time to sit down and he doesn't have a million things on his mind. And so one-on-one uh, -on -one in-person conversations is, I agree, 100% by far the most effective way to get to know your lawmaker, to allow them to understand what issues you support. And so I think he's dead right. And that is mainly how he operates, which is why he's been so successful. Definitely agree. Uh, anywhere I go and speak, when people ask me that question, I always tell them, you know, uh, you, I, I absolutely encourage people to get involved during the session. But, you know, one of the things I always say is like, you've got to also do it in the interim, right? Uh, when they're not in session. In fact, sometimes it's easier to do that, to your point. Um, you know, have coffee with them or, or do, do, what, uh, do whatever. Um, you know, and it's, it's more, I think it's, it's an all-encompassing, all, you know, all prongs approach where you're sending emails, you're calling, you're doing all that. But certainly – 
having a relationship, hopefully positive, right? Relationship with your lawmakers, absolutely uh, something that will help you leaps and bounds will help you more um, than not doing that, than just saying, a, sending a paltry email or something like that. And I think he's, he's spot on there for sure. Uh, you know, one of the, one of the points he made, uh, which I can confirm, and I, you probably can as well, Jeremy, being a legislative staffer, is, you know, we do get a lot of phone calls. We would get a lot of emails. And it's not that we didn't pay attention to those things, but there's certain protocols in how we deal with those. So if it's a – typically we have interns who are operating uh, a, a CMS, a constituent management service. And so this is basically a database where we log you on, uh, hey, I don't support this bill or I do support this bill. Well, you, you know, you get ticked in there as supporting or not supporting, and so you become basically a tally mark. And that's kind of that's kind of the point he made. Uh, and it's not that we don't appreciate those. Uh, it's just once again, uh, it, the word is effectiveness. And so, you know, if you call, that's great. I encourage you to call because it does give the legislator an idea of how many of his constituents support or don't support a, a priority. Same thing with email. But that is uh, is not comparable to coming in and sitting down with the legislator and most legislators. And I think he made this point, too want to sit down with their constituents. My previous boss, I know if he was on the floor voting and we had a constituent, he said, you better call me or text me. I'm coming back to the office to talk to them in person because they traveled all the way down from Dallas Worth. And so uh, there's just something different about in-person meetings, especially if you drive all the way down to Austin to sit down one-on-one with your legislator. Uh, most of them actually do care. Uh, I think with all the criticism that are throw, uh, you know, thrown at, at lawmakers, uh, it, you know, there seems to be this signal, oh, they just don't care, and they, but, but no, they do. They do, and you can be far more effective sitting down in a room with them for 20 or 30 minutes and really giving your, your take on something. I don't want to give away the episode. One of the other points that deals with that, that he also talked about, right, was, you know, you know, who is sitting down with your lawmakers in your absence is the lobbyist. Right. And so, you know, I, I think he, he had said something in the effect of you miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take. Right. You got to take the shot um, and get in there. And I think it absolutely applies to the kind of lawmaker constituent relationship. You know, if you're not engaging with it. You know, they're representing 180 to 200,000 people, uh, at least on the House side, right? And even more on the state Senate side, you know, if you're not engaging with it, someone else is, you know, and sometimes those uh, motives might be different than yours. So I feel like we need to make a graphic that, you know, we put that quote out there and then we put, you know, Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott, Russell Bennett. You know? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> quote of a quote of a quote. For sure. Right? For sure. So, yeah, we highly encourage you all to watch uh, this episode. It should be out uh, tomorrow morning sometime. Uh, and so it's a, it's, it's a great interview with a grassroots activist. You know, we've had a lot of uh, – we've had some previous legislators. Uh, we've had uh, some, you know, economists like Vance Ginn. Uh, but this is a different take where he is, he is truly a grassroots activist advocating for property tax reform. So it's going to be a little bit different than some of the other ones. I think it's well worth your time to tune in and listen to what he has to say, especially as we approach the legislative session. So that is pretty much all we have today. Uh, We are looking forward to Thanksgiving next week. We will not be doing a podcast. We will be spending time with our family. We hope you will be doing the same. And so we will see you back the week after Thanksgiving as we get closer and inch towards legislative session. For even more content, follow us on social media at Texas Taxpayers on Facebook and Instagram at Texas underscore taxpayers on Twitter. Subscribe to The Fiscal Note, our weekly email jam-packed full of information important to Texas taxpayers at texastaxpayers.com slash subscribe. And then make sure to check out our Texas Prosperity Plan. 
texastaxpayers.com slash TPP. Thanks. <laughs>